Dear Father in heaven, we, we thank you for the breath of life today again. Thank you for sufficient health, for your blessings. Thank you because we can all be together to study your word and encourage one another and learn. Lord, I pray that you may give us strength so that we may be using this time in a way that glorifies you. Help me to, to have strength and clarity and, and humility to be able to communicate what is uh, found in Ephesians chapter 2 effectively uh, this week and next week. Thank you for all who are coming today, who came today, and uh, I pray that you may help us, Lord, to study this text and uh, to share it with others as well. Amen. All right, so welcome everyone. Today we have a most amazing passage of scripture, which is going to answer some of the most puzzling questions that people who are Christians and even non-Christians have asked over the centuries of human existence. Questions such as, what is the spiritual condition of people who are not Christians? Is man good, bad, neutral, morally before God? How about right after birth or conception? Why do I believe and others do not? People talk about free will in our culture. Is the Bible describing man's capacity to make choices, choices as uh, what is commonly referred to as free will? Is it possible for someone who is not a Christian to desire to come to Jesus on his or her own? So what is the role of the devil in the heart of people who are not Christians today? Can born-again Christians live like unbelievers. What is the role of God in the individual salvation story of everyone here and on earth? Why am I here on earth as a Christian? Why are we even here? What, what is this all about? Is faith a gift from God? Or is it something that human can activate? They want to activate? Question mark. What are we saved from? How are we saved? Is it by grace and faith and works? Are we sure to be saved? Are we possibly seeing Christians in church who are not going to make it to heaven? Why did God save us? So you see all those questions, they center around who man is, who God is, what man does, what God does, and then salvation in between the two. How does that happen? And what are the truths that God wants us to know about that? So all of these questions are answered really in this text and more. So this is, uh, without apology, this is a... Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10, this is what I would call Calvinism 101. 
And uh, Calvinism is basically just the biblical teaching of salvation in the Bible. And in a nutshell, it is this. God alone saves all the elects. There is zero contribution in the final analysis from human beings, and therefore get, God gets all the glory. It's really foundational, and uh, there are plenty of questions and um, some controversies, and, and so I hope that as we dive into these two-part series in, in this uh, chapter two, you'll, you'll get at least to see uh, why some people teach what I'm teaching today, and uh, I'm sure you'll get to see the passages that are clearly indicating some of the truths that we will be discussing today. So the text, let's read it, and then I'll tell you the journey that we are embarking on. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. Starting in verse 1. So that's Paul talking to Christians. You will notice the past tense as we begin. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. There are a few chairs. Hopefully you can find your way. So that's the state of mankind, verses 1 to 3. And then there is a but. But God, verse 4, but God, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself or your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Really a special text, isn't it? So Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3. What is the theme? Helpless without Christ. Helpless without Christ. Specifically, it launches by saying, you were dead in your sins. And then it describes how that looked like. Well, that looked like following the devil, following everything the world does that's against God, and being, by nature, a person that God is angry with, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And he says, that's how, that's who you were. 
So that's correct. I'm going to call that total depravity, which is basically just another way of saying, what is the Bible saying about people? What is the Bible saying about, about us before we are Christians? And why does that matter? Well, because you see, he's saying, you were dead, helpless, but God. He doesn't say, you were helpless, but you just pulled yourself with your own will and you decided to follow God and you were not like those people who are not humble. You just changed yourself. That's not what he says. It says, you were dead, but God made you alive. So it's very important for us to understand who we are before we are saved because we can give thanks to God in a more understanding way. We can understand more what he has done. And also when we evangelize, we're going to be realizing these people are dead and there's nothing I can do to give them life. We need verse 4. We need but God who is rich in mercy. He can do whatever he wants. And when we come to this, um, you know, it's not actually uh, theologically precise and rich enough to say, well, we're all sinners. Yes, we're all sinners, but we need to see all that Paul tells us in verses 1 to 3. And what really that implies about what we want, what we can do, and, and so on. Okay, so that's part one. That's for today. And then part two is going to be verses 4 through 10. And what is that about? That's right. So that's God bringing us, us to life. And uh, we will see that the big picture is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself, it's the gift of God. And then he even says something amazing about why God did this. If you read carefully, in between verses uh, 4 through 10. He says, in order that in the ages to come, he will show how glorious he is because of the grace he has given us. So I'm, I'll give you a little teaser from next week. He's basically saying, you know, this is why there is evil in the world. Because in the ages to come, we who have been graced, given grace, we are going to give God glory in a way that we would not have been able to if there was no such world as what we have today. And he, he also says, you were created for good works. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here. So that's really the, the Calvinism 101. We have no hope in ourselves. We are dead. And someone who is dead, he can do nothing. She can do nothing to bring himself or herself back to life. It requires a divine intervention from God. And we will see that this is all, this is all God's work through the gospel. So let's uh, dive into the, uh, the first uh, three verses. And I'll, I'll read them again. I'll, I'll give a quick explanation as to what they mean. And then we'll dive into some details, some keywords, and how the Bible really uh, correlates this teaching. You will see it's not just in Ephesians 2. You cannot just say, well, Ephesians 2 is unclear. I'm just going to skip over it. You'll see it's all over the Bible. So let's read again verses 1, 2, 3. And my desire really is that um, you, you look into the verses. Um, 
for, for many years, I did not believe in what I'm about to teach you today. Uh, and I've been believing this for, for, for a long time now. And the reason why I did not believe was I was never really shown in the text where those things are coming from. People were reasoning, they were making metaphors, and you know, I can come up with a metaphor the other way. But once I saw that this is the text, this, you cannot go anywhere, this, this is what God says, then it really helped me, oh, finally, I know. I know what to believe about this. And it was so helpful. So that requires you to look into the text as I, I'm trying to really spend more time in some verses and call you to look at some verses, look up some verses yourself. So verse one, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So in three verses, Paul tells us, this is how you behave, this is who you were before you were saved. And he says, number one, you were dead. You were not just dying, able to ask for help, like drowning in water, but not yet dead. You were at the bottom of the ocean. You were dead. And dead how? Not by your sins, in sins. This is just, this sea is sin. You were just at the bottom of the ocean with the sin that Adam had all started on the earth. And then it was not that you were just dead. You were a dead walking person. Walking dead. Zombie. Yeah, like a zombie, really. In which you once walked in sins, dead in sins, walking in sins. That, that was your life. That was, that was what you were doing. And it was not just you. You were following all the world. You were following all the things that people do on this earth, all the evil things that people do. And you were not a Jesus follower. You were a devil follower, following the prince of the power of the air. That's just another phrase for the devil. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So you watch this. He's saying the devil is at work in the heart of people who don't believe. I'm not a slave of the devil. I do whatever I want. The devil doesn't exist. The devil exists for sure. He's working in the heart of people who are rejecting Christ. Isn't that amazing? I mean, look at what it says. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And it was, well, it was just a few, like, yeah, I can see some of the very bad folks today in the history, you know, yeah, the devil was for sure at work in them, not in me. No, no. Among whom we all, so he's really just saying, it's all of mankind, it's everyone, it's not just a few, it, I'm telling you the truth about humanity, you included, that's how you were before you were saved. And he's saying, among whom we all lived, and then he's talking about, okay, was it something that you were doing, but, you know, you really just didn't want to do this, but, you know, you just did it anyways? He's saying, we lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So everything about me, my body, my mind, the mature, immature part of my a person, I was just following the desires. That's what I wanted to do. That's who I wanted to be. And I was following the devil, my father. And he concludes by saying, we were by nature children of wrath. So I will explain that by nature, that means from birth. It's, it's who I am before Christ. That's at the core of my being. I was dead. I didn't love God. I followed the devil. I wanted to do what he was about. 
And uh, that was the same for everyone, the rest of mankind. So that's something that really, I mean, I can think about when I was not saved. Right, I can remember it, that, that was me, just no doubt, that was me. And, uh, and wow, I was just like people who reject Jesus to this very day. There's nothing I can boast about. I was just like them. It, it humbles us, it really does. It really does. So now let's look at the, um, the key phrases in the passage. He says, you were dead in sins. Now that's very important to, to understand. Again, it's not, it's not a near desperate situation where, you know, there is still hope of life. It's over. Dead. There's nothing you can do. It's over. The person is dead. You, you cannot do anything else. It's, it's over. There is no hope. Only God can change someone who is dead and, and give life. So we should really remember this. And I want to, I want to show you a few verses, but, but before that, um, I remember Paul Washer, he explained uh, what happens when someone is dead in sins and then they become alive. That's called, uh, who, who knows what's the theological word for, for this, when someone is dead in sins and then they become alive? Regeneration. Regeneration. When you are born again, you were dead, you have new life. You are regenerated. What are synonyms in the Bible for regeneration? Born again is one. Quickened. 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 Made alive. Other ones. New creation. Saved. Saved. Raised up. Raised up. Uh, so being a new creation, a newness of life. The old man and the new man mm -hmm. put on the old self and the, the new man who is created in Christ Jesus. Okay, and then we, we, we will even talk about uh, the circumcision of the heart. That's, that's, that's another way it's mentioned. And so Paul Washer was saying this. He was saying, imagine someone who is dead. And you come and you tell them about Jesus. You tell them the gospel. But you know... It goes one ear, it goes the other, it bounces back, it's dead. It's like if you were talking to, to a, a statue of stones. You can just talk all you want, uh, unless God raises the dead, there is no change. And so it's like really having a heart of stone, a, a heart that's dead, that does not beat for God, does not care for God, you cannot do anything. And we, we, we talk instinctively about this, we, we say things like, I shared the gospel. But at this point, this only the Spirit convinces. We understand that. We say, I, I shared the gospel, I, I did this, now I'm praying. O only God can change this person. And this is correct. Only God can raise the dead. So that's, that's how bad it was. You see, we have to keep that in mind. We are talking about a dead person. So, now let's look at parallel passages. Colossians 2.13. Please turn to Colossians 2.13. Ephesians and Colossians are uh, sister letters. They are basically letters or epistles that are resembling each other a lot. They have a lot of uh, parallel passages. And so we are going to be able to see a lot of insights by looking at Colossians 2.13. First, we'll see that the same expression is found there. Who wants to read it for us? Please read it loud. 
And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Thank you. So you see again the expression, dead in sins. And he adds the uncircumcision of your flesh. So we'll, we'll come back to that later. And then let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. We will read verse 5 and then verse 6. <coughs> so he's talking about widows, um, ladies who have lost their husbands. And he's talking about widows who are uh, Christians, who are following the word of God, and those who are not. And uh, in the context, uh, there is the idea that uh, church is to support the people who are poor or even the widows financially, provided they qualify. So here he talks about the true widow and the false widow, the Christian, non-Christian one. Verse 5, she who is truly a widow left all alone. She has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. See, that's, that's what a non-Christian is. They are dead even though they live. So they have life in one realm, the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm, they are actually dead. In the parable of the prodigal son, in Luke 15, 24, you remember the, the son who is, um, uh, who is young and foolish, he asks the inheritance, he goes away, he wastes it all, and then he comes back. And then the text says, the father who represents God and the prodigal son represents the sinner who repents. It says, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. Same idea. And uh, generally speaking, it's, you can see it this way. It's not just the metaphors that talk about death, but it's also the metaphors that talk about the absence of life. So 1 John 5.12, very important verse to know. 1 John 5.12, it will tell us what, uh, what happens to people who deny the true identity of Jesus, who deny that Jesus is God, who deny that Jesus is um, the God-man and uh, the perfect substitute. 1 John 5.12, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So if someone does not have life, uh, they are dead. John 3.36, another very important verse. John 3.36, that's um, after the John 3.16 well-known passage. At the end of this section, there is a powerful statement. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. See, this verse is very interesting because it says, if you believe, it's just another way of saying you obey. It says, whoever believes in the Son of God has eternal life. Whoever does not obey shall not see life. So believing, obeying, it's one and the same. If, if you have true faith, you will, you will obey. And if you do, you have life. If you don't, you have the wrath of God on you. And that's back to Ephesians 2. Yes, what questions? What was the verse you said before John 3.36? Uh, the verse before was uh, 1 John 5.12. Uh -huh. Yes, another question maybe? No, no more questions. Okay. So another thing I want to point out is that uh, death means separation. So for example, if someone dies physically, 
their soul is separated from the body but the soul goes to God and is and is still alive so physical death is separation between the body and the soul spiritual death is separation between the soul and God did you hear that so when I die the body goes into the grave but my soul goes to God I'm separated from my body and that will not last forever there will be the resurrection of the dead one day when someone is born they are dead in sins they are separated from God from birth their soul is separated from God it was not always so it started all with Adam so let's go to Genesis chapter 2 and uh, we are going to pay attention here to the passage in Ephesians 2 3 where it says were by nature children of wrath so we want to see um, we want to see this nature piece what does it mean so go to Ephesians uh, Genesis 2 so if you track this word nature here in the rest of the New Testament so you know it says here we were by nature so that, that means it's really um, how things are in the world so if you track it, you'll find that it occurs in uh, Romans 1, where it says that when there is a homosexual behavior between two men, it says it's against nature. So we see that this is a principle that everyone knows. This is a principle that's uh, within people uh, intrinsically, even though they may refuse it. So it says people are children of wrath by nature. They are dead by nature. Uh, another uh, occurrence is in... Uh, 1 Corinthians 11 where it says that God by nature has given longer hair to women and it's her glory and there's actually uh, there are physical biochemical processes that make the hair of women grow longer than men there is almost never a woman on earth that, that is bald except if it's because of a disease but men grow with a, you know they grow bald and they just have shorter hair and it, it, the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 11 it's by nature God has given that so the hair would be a covering and it's for her glory so women have beautiful hair and they are beautiful that's why that's how god made them so here it says by nature we're dead and we are making god angry and it, it starts from birth now we have to remember that you know someone can be quote-unquote naturally angry you know this guy he gets angry easily that may be well true that doesn't mean it's good right uh, so even though right now nature is that the animals they eat each other they attack uh, human beings there are all kinds of things that are in nature that are that are that are obviously not good poisonous animals poisonous fruits you know those kinds of things uh, but that's because of sin when sin came it ruined everything so now we have a lot of things that are by nature still pretty much looking uh, uh, like the original design just generally speaking uh, but uh, but there are other things that are just completely changed that just patently did not exist like like I said like some uh, some uh, deformities in nature um, so when we say it's by nature that doesn't mean God made it this way originally that's my point it means that right now this is the way things are but uh, what I want to show is that in Genesis 2 we can see it was not always that way so in Genesis 2 it says in verse 16 
And the Lord commanded man. That's when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. God had made everything absolutely marvelous. He spent uh, uh, five days to prepare a universe, a planet. He made the planet, then he decorated the planet with the trees, and he filled it with animals, and he made the stars also as if it was an afterthought. He made everything marvelous. And at the end, he placed men in this beautiful creation and he said you can do everything you want in the garden you can eat of all the fruits that i made for you so you can have uh, nutrition all the time you can have food but 17 of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die so he said the day when you eat of that that fruit the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil you will be dead and so what happened in Genesis 3, they did. And then the Lord said, verse 22, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life, the fruits there, and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the men, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned away that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life so they disobeyed they died spiritually it was not that they died physically at the time they died spiritually and because they were dead spiritually they could become actually dead physically later on and uh, you see the wisdom of God he did not allow sinful people to live forever on the earth uh, already a hundred years is plenty enough for many people to do awful things so he casts them out of the garden so they would not live forever the same idea they are dead and then life is taken away from them and then when you become a Christian you can have eternal life which is God himself coming inside of you God himself being life he gives us life but there they are separated from God and they die no life spiritually so now we want to uh, answer the question you remember at the very beginning I, I said this text is going to answer all kinds of questions and I also uh, raised among the questions how are we from birth are we good are we bad are we neutral what about you know at the very beginning when someone is a baby so we're gonna answer that right now because we're looking at by nature children of wrath and uh, we see, uh, please, if you turn to Psalm 58, verse 3, that it's really from, from birth. It's from the womb. Psalm number 58, verse 3. If someone wants to read it after a few moments and read it loud, please. Verse what? Verse 3. I heard it. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. All right, so the wicked go astray from the womb. And uh, of course, the Bible says that before we were saved, we were all wicked. Uh, the New Living Translation, which I don't usually quote, but here it, it just helps to get the point. These wicked people are born sinners. That's, that's what the passage means. They go astray from the womb. Let's turn to... Psalm 51 5 so that's David uh, praying to God for forgiveness and he talks about his um, his nature from conception Psalm 51 5 all right I will read it behold I was brought forth in iniquity 
and in sin did my mother conceive me. So he's saying that from the very beginning of conception, he was conceived in sin. And he is not saying that there was a particular adulterous uh, relationship between his mother and dad. He's, he's just saying, I'm a sinner from the very moment of when I begin to exist. And the reason is that the, um, the reason is that, and I'll come to that a little later, but the reason is that the, the person of the mom, the person of the dad, they are both sinners. And so whatever they produce is going to be just like them. It's going to be uh, sinful. Isaiah 48, 8. Please turn to this one. It's also uh, an important one. Isaiah 48, 8. Yes, 48.8, you have never heard, you have never known, from of old, your ear has not been opened, for I knew that you would surely deal treacherously, and that from before birth, you were called a rebel. From before birth, we are called rebels, all of us, even before we were born, we are going to go astray, we are going to speak lies, we are going to sin, that's just the way it is, as of today. And then we see the conclusion theologically from Paul in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 and uh, 14. Uh, this one also I will wait for you to turn there. Uh, you can memorize this verse, Romans 5, 12. Very important verse to understand a biblical worldview of, uh, of everything we have around us. Romans 5, 12. And what it's going to talk about is the consequence of the sin of Adam for our world and for all people. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered the world, entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And then in verse 14, it talks about death reigning from Adam. Even though we have not sinned in the same way as Adam did, so, as soon as Adam disobeyed Adam and Eve, they became mortal. So, who, who can give us uh, some, some consequences? Uh, so, you imagine God created the universe and everything was good. He said it is good when he created every single uh, aspect of creation in, in, in the, the first few days of creation. And then when he made man, he said it's very good. Everything was good. The only thing that wasn't good was the absence of a, a woman for men, and God <coughs> breached that gap. And so when creation was over, there was nothing but goodness. But then they ate, and then they were cast out of the garden. So based on that verse and, and just uh, general brainstorming here, what are the things that just happened after that? Well, I think you don't want to say it, no? Like Some of it, yeah. Animals, death. And how does that connect with uh, Romans 
Yes, death went over all men, so that's why every single descendant of Adam and Eve is a sinner and uh, is touched by sin, and as a result of sin, there is death. But you also see that at the beginning it says sin entered into the world. So that's the idea that, imagine the world like a, like a sphere, and then it's just a sphere, a sphere of water. Whenever Adam sinned, there was black ink that was poured at the top. The whole thing is covered with sin now. So every part of creation is touched by sin. The way Romans 8 puts it is that the whole creation is corrupt and was subjected to futility. So everything is now touched by sin, and it's all because of Adam, and we are all touched by that, even though we have not sinned in the same way he did, Romans 5.14. Any questions on that before we turn to another phrase in Ephesians 2? No? Okay, so in Ephesians 2, you saw that it says we were dead in sins. And when we turn to Colossians 2.13, it says you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So this means that dead in sins is another way of saying you were uncircumcised in your flesh. And the reason why I love this expression is because I've studied this expression in the past and it's just beautiful what it means. So we are going to take a look at the the metaphor of circumcision. So in the Old Testament, circumcision was done on, on, the, on the maze, and uh, it was the way to be in the covenant. If you were part of the covenant, you were circumcised, and if you were not circumcised, you would have, uh, you would have to be, or you would be um, undergoing uh, severe uh, consequences. And the reason why it was done like that, that is the circumcision physical piece, was that this is where um, this is where procreation happens. It shows that this was impure and needed to be to be cleansed. That was a sign of cleansing. That this is a, you are impure at the very center of where uh, conception happens, and you need to have a cleansing so you can be pure before God. And so, you know, in the Old Testament, it would say things like that. You are circumcised and you think you follow the law, but your heart is not circumcised. And they will be condemned. Because the whole point is you have to be pure. The symbol is not enough. You have to actually follow what the symbol means. And so here, he is saying being dead in sins, it means you are not circumcised in your, your being. It means you need to be changed. You are impure, and circumcision was basically a symbol of being born again. All right, so let's look at Galatians 6.15, where we will see this connection more clearly. Galatians 6.15. And uh, the context of Galatians, as you turn there, they were um, false brothers, false Christians. They were saying, you must be circumcised physically, just like the tradition of Moses says, otherwise you cannot be saved. And then the Christians, uh, they had the uh, Council of Jerusalem, and they had a, um, a strong uh, debate and disagreement on this, because you cannot add any work to faith to be saved, otherwise it's heresy. You cannot say, you must do something physically to be saved, otherwise you just like are saying, I have to earn it. And they were saying, no, that's, this is not true. So in, in 6.15, he says, if someone is in Christ, if someone is a Christian, 
neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation so what he's saying is that if you are Christian you don't need to be circumcised physically uh, or not be circumcised none of that matters because what really matters is that you are a new creation what matters is that you're born again you can have the external peace if you don't have the reality it's worthless right so being circumcised means being born again if you are circumcised in your heart and that makes sense because we're saying being dead in sins requires to be but God made us alive it requires to be regenerated born again and he's saying being dead in sins it's like being uncircumcised in your being so what do you need to be you need to be made a new creation you need to be circumcised in your heart you need God to remove this heart of stone give you a heart of flesh you need God to change you inside you see that so the reason why it's important is because now we can not only track the expressions that say dead in sins and see what that implies but we can also track the expressions and circumcised spiritually and see what they imply as well so we can see how people who are not Christians that is not circumcised in their heart how they act and what they want to do what they can do so please turn to Acts 7 51 Acts chapter 7 verse 51 As you turn there, I'll read another passage. So this is Jesus explaining the parable of the sower. You remember when the word is sown like seeds on the, in the field, and then there are only some that bear fruit? Jesus explains and says in Matthew 13, 15, and 16, For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes, and their eyes they have closed. Let they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them then he turns to the ones who are blessed by the Father from the foundation of the world and he said blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear and you remember every time in the different passages in the Bible and when Jesus is preaching or in the book of Revelation it says let him who has let him so you have people who have ears but they don't hear you have people who are alive physically, but they are dead. Some people have ears, but they are dead ears. Some people have eyes, but they don't see because they are dead. So now we turn to uh, Acts 7, and this is uh, Stephen. He's preaching before the Jews, and he is just, I mean, he's absolutely fearless and bold. He's preaching before a hostile crowd. That's always difficult. And he's saying, you have always disobeyed God and he tells them how God has been good and what they did and that they killed the Christ and so they are just raging and look at what he says 51 you stick ne stiff necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did so you do also do you so he's saying your ears and your heart are not circumcised you're not, you're not actually alive spiritually. You're dead. You have the external sign. You don't have the reality. And he's saying, if you are someone like that who has an uncircumcised ear or heart, what that means is that you always resist the Holy Spirit. There's never a time when you're like open to the Holy Spirit. You always resist the Holy Spirit. And it's not just you. It's everyone that has gone before that was part of uh, your, your family. So this is, this is how, how desperate the situation was. And again, when we go next week to the but God, 
It's going to make that even more amazing to our understanding and appreciation. So you see, if someone is uncircumcised of heart, which is another way of saying dead in sin, they always resist the Holy Spirit. And then, sadly, if you go to verse 57, when they are about to crucify, to, uh, to stone him to death, do you know what they did? They put their fingers on their ears because they didn't want to hear anything else he was going to say. Look at the text. They couldn't even bear to hear a single word. They actually put their fingers in their ears like kids, not to hear what the truth was. That, that's how bad it was. Their ears were not circumcised. They would even close their ears and stone him. Completely insane. But this is what it was. Um, then let's turn to Jeremiah 6.10. Jeremiah 6.10 uh, There are so many other verses on this idea of the circumcision of the heart and the ears, uh, but I'll, I'll give just two more. Jeremiah 6.10 To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised, they cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Now read that verse again. Someone who has uncircumcised ears, they cannot listen to the word of God. They cannot stand it. They hate it. For them, they scorn it. They despise it. I mean, think about it. People may say they, they just appreciate some truths about the Bible here and there. Some of them would say that. But at the end of the day, when the Bible is really taught, there is eventually it comes out. It's plain and simple. And uh, even if they don't really will say it out loud, at the end of the day, they take no pleasure in the Bible. That's how I was. I didn't take pleasure in the Bible. God was telling me to do certain things that are good for me. But again, it was in my nature to prefer sin. And so I scorned it. I didn't want to do anything with it. And uh, listening to a sermon, going to Bible studies, reading the Bible with uh, you know, any external period of time, no way. I was uncircumcised of heart and ears. I could not listen. I didn't want to listen. It was both I could not, because again, my ears were closed, but also that I just didn't want to. See, it's not, well, poor them, they cannot. It's that they don't want. Even if they could, they would not. That's, that's really the, the status. And but, but God. So if we turn to Deuteronomy 29.4, Deuteronomy 29.4, we see that he is the one who makes the difference when this is the case. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. This is the Lord who at some point for his elects, according to his good pleasure, because remember, all we are owed by God really is justice. At some point, God graciously grants people to be born again, to be circumcised of heart, to be made alive, something that they cannot do, nobody can do. I cannot give life to someone who is dead. Only God can do that because he has life. I don't have life in myself. John chapter 1. In him was life, and this life was the life of all men. God can do that. And there is even a, a verse in, in the Psalms that says that the Word of God literally digs our ears. 
There is a verse in the Psalms that says that the Word of God digs in our ears. He digs it up so it actually can hear. And isn't that what we know from Romans 10, 17? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. So it just we just need the power of the gospel for someone who is dead from this word of life to come alive by the power of the Spirit. There's nothing we can do. And to show you one more aspect of who we are, I'm going to talk about total inability. So total depravity means that every part of my being is touched by sin. It, it's not just my body, but my spirit is, is now trying to do the things of God. It's everything. Jesus said, if you being evil know how to, do, to give good things to your kids, how much more God will give good things to those who ask him. You remember that verse? So he said, if you being evil. So he's saying, mankind, every person on earth is before God evil. Now, of course, before us, when we look and compare, we see that, you know, some people are just, they are okay, you know, maybe they are pretty good. Uh, they give to the poor and so on. But before God, who has an absolute standard of holiness and who also sees all the sin that has been committed in the past, everyone is, is wicked and separated from him. And every part of our being is touched by sin. My body is touched by sin. That's why I age. That's why I die. That's why even babies die because they are touched by sin. Even though they are still innocent in their, uh, in, their, in their very youth at the beginning, they just have no idea. They are still touched by sin because they inherit it like, a, like a, a spiritual aids that they get every single time they, there is a baby born. So our body is touched by sin, right? So it says it in Romans 6, who will deliver me from this body of death? Uh, our soul is touched by sin, our thoughts, our will, Everything is about me is touched by sin, and I'm dead in my sin. When I'm born again, I'm still a sinner. I'm still uh, dying physically. My thoughts are still polluted by sin. My will is still also influenced by sin. But now, I'm no longer dead. Now, I'm no longer a slave. And now, I have a new nature. So things are different, but I'm still impacted by this old self. And when I go to heaven, then all of that will be gone. I will no longer be touched by sin in any part of my being. But you see the progression. So for those who are in verses 1 to 3, everything in their being is touched by sin. It's not that their conscience is neutral. You know, some people teach that. They think that the conscience or our mind is like a library where there's nothing in it. And then our education places a book. And then another book over there, this is a bad book, this is a good book. And they say that your conscience becomes, you know, uh, tainted by life. That's not so. The Bible says when we are born, we are touched by sin everywhere. And, um, and so next, uh, we want to look at uh, the verse 2 and, and um, do a, a quick dive on, on this expression. It says, you were dead in your sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So please turn with me to John 8, 44. If someone wants to read for us John 8, 34 or 44. John 8, 44. We will see the relationship between people and the devil and the devil and our will.
You are of the father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Who was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So you see how this is uh, very much what uh, Paul wrote in uh, Ephesians 2? Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work inside people. See, it's, it's the same thing. Here it says that uh, before we are born again, um, we are really uh, children of wrath, following the devil with our father, and uh, we do his will. We do what he wants us to do. We do what the world is, 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 uh, is about, is after because the devil is influencing the world for the desires of uh, all kinds of desires you see by the way when it says following the course of this world filling the blank tell us what the world is about general categories things that people follow after what does that mean Okay, their own ambitions, so they basically live for themselves, <laughs> like pursuing their career, not worrying about what God says about what my life should be, respective to my gender, for example. Yes? Money. Money, so materialism, they just want more money, they want more stuff, they want a, you know, a newer car, two cars, three cars, bigger house, change everything in my house, you name it, things that, well, how about I use my money for the things of God, because those are not going to pass away, right? Uh, so many things we could list, right? Sexuality, all the things of the world, all all the the lusts that are in the world. That's that's where we were. And uh, many times, uh, I assume, just like me, you've seen when you evangelize people, and then you tell them about what what is the cost. You know, Jesus said, "If anyone wants to be my disciple, he must pick up his cross and follow me daily." And he said, "If you bear fruit, you prove to be truly my disciples." So when you start to talk about, you know, this is what it means to be a Christian. Many people, they, they don't want to pay that price. They want to do what they want. You know, showing up on, a, on Sunday for an hour and a half, you know, and just listening. And, okay, I can do that. Going home and doing everything God wants for a whole week and trying to please Him and being uh, joyful about that because that's what I want to do. Many people, no way. They're not interested. Uh, but again, this is uh, who people were, and then you see what the devil leads people to do, his own desires, and there is, uh, he's up to no good. Second verse, uh, you will notice in John 8.44, the will. See, we talked about is the free will that people claim they have today. Even in, in some Christian circles, they say, I have free will, I can do whatever I want. Not according to John 8.44, people are after the will of the devil. And uh, the Bible says they are slaves of the devil. That's not being free. See, we're never free in the Bible uh, when we are not Christians. We are slaves of sin and of the devil. Now, you tell that to people, they will deny it. I'm not a slave of the devil. I can do whatever I want. He doesn't even exist. But the truth is, he does exist, and he does influence them, even though they don't realize it. And um, again, it's all back to the nature. They are following their own nature. And because we are not dead in sins anymore, we can follow the nature that we have in Christ. And that's why the text says, you were, you once walked. See, someone who says, 
Oh, I'm a Christian and he lives his life just like anybody else. He has no change before and after his supposed conversion. Well, this is dubious. There's no, there's no reason to believe that this is true. Because the text says, this is how you were. This is how you once walked. And then as we will see next week, it says, now walk in the deeds that are good works that God has prepared for you. So if someone is not walking in a different way now that he's a, than before, or if you compare to people generally in the world, this is not a true Christian. This is how we also examine ourselves and see if we are in the faith, and if we are not, we have to repent and believe that Jesus died for our sins and was raised on the third day so that we wouldn't have to be following the devil, but we could follow Jesus. Please turn to 2 Timothy or 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. A very important verse about evangelism, how we interact with people who are not Christians. A very important verse about anthropology, who man is. And again, we will see the connection with the devil and our will. 2 Timothy 2, 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. So it's basically any one of us who is engaging in the discussing the Bible with anybody. If it's the case for the, the pastors and the deacons, it's also the case for all of us because there are examples for the flock. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. See how God is sovereignly deciding if there is a change. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So I, I hope you, you have the picture uh, clear now and uh, you see the categories and you see what people cannot do and what people want to do. What they want to do is the will of the evil one what their freedom is, is being slave of the devil. Who they are is dead in sin, from birth, from conception. They have uncircumcised ears. They do not want to hear anything about the Bible. They despise it. And they are following all the sinful things in the world. And that's their desire. And uh, there is, uh, finally, they don't even want, or they can't even want to be saved. So we will turn to John 5.44 and I will, we will read actually three verses to conclude in John 5 and John 6 and we are going to see that nobody wants to become a Christian so let's dive into this John 5.44 Jesus said how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God see Jesus is saying there is no way for you to believe because all you are after is man-centered things. You do not care about God, and therefore you cannot believe. How can you believe? All you're doing is seeking the praise of men. So, and you remember when we saw the uncircumcision of the eyes, it says they cannot listen. John 6, 44, very clear two verses about nobody being able to come to Jesus on his or her own. John 6, 44, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me 
draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. So here there is a very clear statement with the intent of talking about the ability of people to become Christians. And Jesus is saying, no one can come to me. The only way is that God reveals me to that person and draws that person to me and then they will come. And this is repeated in uh, verse uh, 65 of the same chapter, John 6, 65. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him or granted him by the Father. See the, this theme of being granted, we just saw it in Timothy when someone is granted repentance and next week we'll see someone is granted faith. So that's really in a nutshell the view of the Bible in my conviction about mankind. We are dead in sins and uh, boy, what kind of power must have God used to change me from that state to where I am today? Amazing power. Such a grace, such a love. I did not love God. I did not care about God. I despised God. I did not want to spend a second with God. I was separated from Him spiritually, dead. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive by the great love He showed us. And all of that is that in the ages to come, God will get more glory because of the grace He has given us. And so I'm really excited for next week. I hope you can join us next week. And let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this amazing grace. I once was blind, but now I see. Lord, uh, what an amazing grace. We, we give you glory and honor. And we pray that you may help us to understand your word more deeply and uh, to appreciate this amazing salvation and mercy and love you have given us. Lord, uh, give us uh, strength and diligence in our daily lives so that we may glorify you with the works that you have prepared for us. We ask your forgiveness for our sins and uh, we thank you for this amazing forgiveness and this new life you have given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.